Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. If you are catching us, we are in the final message. Memorial Day weekend just feels like a conclusion to all of the spring and, and, and don't it? You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, this, something's ended. You know, we about to get into something else. And so uh, I feel like this is a great way to kind of end our, um, our semester hermeneutically, just from a preaching standpoint. You know, we, we, we've kind of been working a theme, and so now we'll kind of get to tie it up, and we'll push into something new uh, this summer. Um, but what has these last six or so weeks been about? Say it like you mean it. Amen. There you go. It's been about faith, y'all. And uh, it's, 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 I'm excited about today's word. Um, because I think it'll be a culmination. It'll, it'll put another cut in the diamond, so hopefully it shines even more. Uh, beautifully and radiantly, but it really is not not a whole lot of new things we'll get into today, but hopefully we'll drive them home and reinforce them. I'm, I'm big on reinforcement. Uh, I, as a parent now, you know that, uh, you know, when you're parenting, uh, it's not about relaying a whole lot of new information, is it? It's just repeating the same things over and over. Some of y'all teachers know what I'm talking about. Man, it's, you know, yesterday, I don't know whether Gina was talking to the kids or to me. Didn't I tell you not to leave those clothes right there? I think she was talking to the kids. It's because it's definitely not me. I never leave my stuff out. You know what I'm saying? Everyone, she said, she's an equal opportunity teacher. You know what I'm saying? To the dad and to the kiddos, right? Um, but I, I, I have learned to appreciate instruction. Um, and, and if you know, some of y'all don't know my story, um, but... Um, I appreciate instruction in a very, very special way that's very close to me. I was a college athlete, and I was a really average high school athlete. I mean, the only reason why I think I was able to play ball in college is because I had someone that took a lot of interest in me and just coached me. And they just spoon-fed me everything I needed to get to the next level. It's really one of the greatest displays of grace that I've ever received, and it always points me back to Jesus. And so this weekend, I mean, this week, this past Monday, I, uh, my boy was, was at school, and uh, it was my turn to pick up. So I get there. Of course, he's not outside. Then he comes outside late. He, you know, Dad, can I go back in to get some extra work? And I'm like, bruh, I got a meeting. I got this. And I'm like, uh, all right, man. All right, go back in. Get your little extra work. You can stay for a little minute. Well, much to my surprise, I walk in. I, I assume some things you know, about high school coaches, you know, maybe, maybe some bad assumptions, but, you know, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm used to, in, to, to, to there being kind of more bad coaches than good coaches. Maybe that's my imagination, whatever. So I'm just assuming somebody's just in there just making them sweat for no reason and just yelling and fussing or whatever. So I walk in, and it's like I sit down for a second, I'm just peeping, and man, I think my boy thought I was crazy because when we got home in the car, I was like, bruh, I just saw your meal ticket. I just saw your meal ticket, bruh. I just literally have seen the best thing that could ever happen to you in the next four years. 
Because I met this young man, he's just a, you know, t- young 20-something. He, he probably works some kind of day job, comes back to work and do high school football. He stays after with my son, who is not even close to being number one on the depth chart, but he coaches him like he is. I'm like, bruh. I said, bro, we done found us something. I said, if you just stay in this man hip, he gonna get you where you need to go. And it wasn't just that he was out there, but it was the things that he was passing on, that the tools that he was giving my son, the technical language and terminology and the new ways of methodology of doing things. I'm like, bro, this is it. And as I think about this sermon series on faith and I think about what it is that I have been trying to, why, why I chose this and why we're here. It's because I, I, I do believe that cultivating faith, strengthening faith, using faith is the best thing I could disciple you into. And I do mean that. Above service, above knowledge, but a life where we keep inviting you into strengthening your faith, cultivating your faith, using your faith, and maintaining it, that will be the gift that keeps on giving. Amen, amen, and amen. So here we are. This chapter of Matthew 9, where we find our three verses today, is action-packed. Everybody say, action-packed. It's action-packed. It's like a Marvel movie. Jesus is walking around, it's 30 some odd verses, and he is just flexing. Man, he is going in. Verse 2, he heals a paralyzed man. Verse 18 through 26, he is on the way to heal a dead girl, and it's so much action packed in it. On his way to heal a dead girl, he finds a, a way to heal a sick woman. He just doing his thing, he flexing, baby. And so, why do we have this chapter recorded in the canon. Why is this here for us? Why did Matthew choose to collect these stories and pass them down? Many theologians, and and, and I'm sure if you flip to maybe the first page of your book of Matthew as the outline, how many of y'all got outlines before your books of the Bible? You should look at those, right? Look at those from time to time because it kind of tells us what's in here. The The first couple chapters of Matthew, especially Uh, chapters 5 through 7, Jesus shows himself as the Messiah through his authoritative teaching of the Word of God. And now when you get to these chapters, really 8 through 10, Jesus is now showing that I'm the Messiah, I'm the anointed one through his many miraculous deeds. And he's demonstrating that the kingdom of God has now truly arrived. And so when these gospel writers, who I've said this before, we'll say it again, When they are compiling stories for us, John even tells us, I had options. Everybody say he had options. John gets to the end of his book and said, man, I could have told you a bunch, but I don't have enough papyri. I ain't got enough ink in the quill to tell you all the things I've seen Jesus of Nazareth do. So they're making choices, right? What to include because these things are important. And so what you find when you read the Gospels that they're not always necessarily in chronological order. So I'm not sure exactly how much time has lapsed between Jesus healing the paralyzed man, Jesus raising up the dead girl, Jesus healing the sick woman. That's not as important as why he chose to include the stories, period. And I think 
for us as believers, recognizing Jesus' kingdom power is an important aspect to your Christology. You specialize on his atonement. I think what's equally as important is also his power. And we'll see that later. So today, really drawing us in, maintaining your faith, which we know in Hebrews 11 and 6, faith is not an abset, it's not an absence of the intellect. Based on God's character, Cope preached that. Based on his character, his promises, what you've seen done, we now make a educated decision, an informed decision to put our faith in something that we think is worthy, amen? So we're not talking about, ooh, ooh. we're not talking about the universe. We're talking about based on what he said, based on what it appears he's done, we choose to place our faith in Jesus because of his kingdom power. Now, last little bit of recap. Let's read together some of this stuff. We preach about five or six messages. The first really kind of encompasses the whole idea and the unifying theme that faith in Jesus leads to blessing. Faith is a fundamental duty for all people and a necessary response to God's self-revelation. When God reveals himself, the only response that is appropriate is what? Faith. It's the only channel through which God's blessing may be received and the only means by which life may be made meaningful in relationship with God. Then we preach that faith that feels. The life of faith is spiritual. It's not learned. You can't teach somebody to have faith. You either kind of got that thing or you don't got that thing, right? The life of faith is spiritual. It's not learned but felt, and it's evidenced by its effects, right? Then we talk about faith that receives. Faith receives the truth and the character of God. It believes. This is one of my favorite lines from Coase. If God wills it, God will do it, right? Faith that saves. Faith looks to Jesus alone, not alive. Sorry about that, you know. Something about the coffee was off when I typed that. Faith looks to Jesus alone for salvation. And faith like a child. Genuine faith is expressed in humility and utter dependence. This is what we've learned so far about faith. So let's just come with three fresh perspectives on faith to kind of close out our series. The first being that those who believe are desperate and unashamed. Those who believe affirm the object of their faith and those who believe receive according to their faith. So verse 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him calling out, have mercy. Everybody say, have mercy. Son of David. And listen, I can't, I got to do this because in our, me and Gina's home church, and she's laughing because she already knows it. So we'd be in, the, in, in worship. You are the risen king. Son of David. Somebody every Sunday would just be screaming out, son of David. And uh, man, you know, listen, I, listen, y'all need to go with your friend to a black charismatic church because you just need to just, you got to experience it a couple times, you know what I'm saying? And let it rub off on you just a little bit. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, you know, so once you get past the first time when it scares you, then you'll be okay. You know what I'm saying? Ooh, you're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, right? So we get that son of David. Uh, let's talk about it first, right? What does son of David mean? Matthew is one of the first gospel evangelist or one of the gospel evangelists who has that long prologue, right? These, four, these generations that prove that Jesus was a part of the genealogical line of, um, 
of David, right? We get that. This is proving that he is distinctly the only descendant of David qualified to have that messianic title. Son of David is a messianic title right? It's tying him to the kingly line. And Matthew took great emphasis in his first chapter to kind of do that. And he picks it back up when he records that these blind men are sitting there crying and confessing that Jesus is the son of David. Messiah in the Greek, so Messiah, Hebrew. I, I don't want to be that cheesy dude who's using Hebrew for no reason, but it's just fresh in my mind because I just barely passed Hebrew a couple weeks ago, so it's just, I'm just giving you what, what I got, or you know what I'm saying? But, and then in the Greek, the same equivalent is Christos, right? Anointed one, Messiah, anointed one, Christos. This is the, what, what, what is being referred to here. When Jesus is called Messiah, when Jesus is called Messiah, he is being uh, uh, qualified as the prophesied liberator of Israel. Go back to Isaiah 61, this person who essentially is this great reverser of fortunes. He leads captives out. He leads people out of darkness. He opens blind eyes. This is um, what is trying to be captured when we give Jesus the messianic title of, of Christ or Messiah. What we see with these two blind men is that they're desperate. These guys are desperate. Jesus is traveling somewhere. Two men spot him. They followed him, and then they call out, have mercy on us, son of David. Brady preached one of these miracles. Was it Bartimaeus? Brady Brady preached Bartimaeus about a year or so ago, huh? And one of the things that we get the sense of when we see this crying out, is that believing people are actually desperate and they're unashamed about that desperation and they just go for it. They got something that they need and they don't actually care who is inconvenienced by their request. How desperate are you? And what would you be willing to do to get Jesus and his attention? Some of us yell for t-shirts at the Tiger Games louder than we cry out for God. If you're in the busy downtown area of Chicago and you needed that cab 20 years ago because we Uber now, you know when your Uber pull up, ma'am, that's not yours. That's mine. <laughs> but 20 years ago, some of y'all know long enough to know, hey, you be boxing out. <laughs> hey, that was me first. I wish I could disciple some of y'all into actionizing your faith and getting yourself to a place where you would be willing to call out to God. True faith, genuine faith is unashamed and it's desperate. And I think desperation also leads us to understand that when we're really desperate, it's when we pushed everything all in. 
in your life, in your current situation, in your current trials, are you still got plan B's and C's or are you really all in on whatever Jesus got going on and is he the only way and the only path out of whatever you've got yourself involved in? Some of y'all still trying to figure things out on your own and I think these two blind men are trying to invite you into something today. They're trying to remind you that desperate people end up getting to Jesus. Are you desperate? So those who believe are desperate and they're unashamed. Those who believe affirm the object of their faith. Verse 28, when he had gone indoors, the blind men came into him. So they didn't settle. They followed him. They called after him. And then Jesus went indoors. They like, hey, we here. Yesterday was our first day kind of home alone for a really long time with all the kiddos in. And uh, me and Gina were going in rooms and all of a sudden people kept following us. I don't understand what was, it's just like, wait, hold on. This was a me and your mama party. Why we got little bodies coming in here, right? They followed him in, right? They weren't even satisfied with that. They followed him in. And then Jesus flips it, and he asks them a question. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? What'd they say, y'all? Yes, Lord, they replied. This is funny. This is not the first time people who are in need get the tables flipped on them. In verse 20, in chapter 20 and 32, um, Jesus asks Uh, someone else who's in need of his touch. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And it's like, Jesus, you're omniscient. You already know. You knew before I came over here. Jesus, we were crying out. We were yelling. And then why why is he forcing us to say the thing? You know what I mean? Because there's no other important question and there's no more significant affirmation than for you to specify what you have your hope in. This is what makes us different from someone who would be a universalist, who just believes that, hey, the universe always seems to be pushing things in the right. Somehow, someway, it'll work out. That's a different testimony than Christianity. If things work out, we know exactly who made it work out. Song said, I'm not lucky, I'm loved. Things aren't just aligning. They are being put together. Ooh, come on. D.A. Carson says, as we think about this verse, do not, there is a tension. There's a tension here as we start talking about faith and its role in the kingdom of God. And so immediately, some people hear faith and they're like, ching, ching, if I just start believing things, I'm just going to get a whole bunch of things then those people who are running away from that, who have been scarred by life, who know that, man, I wish it was that easy, but just because you believe a thing don't mean you always get things, then they avoid faith altogether. I'm not talking to anybody in this room. Yeah, let's just have a quiet, learned, serving kind of life. That ain't faith, Jack. That's not what it is. This is forcing us to the true middle because D.A. Carson is right. The reason why this is in our scriptures is not to call our attention to the miracles, but more so, so that it calls our attention to Jesus' true identity. The miracles call more attention to Jesus' identity than they do to what he will do for people. 
this passage is not, this is not so you can say, oh yeah, this, I can get this, I can get that, I can get this. This is forcing us to once again say, is he who he says he is? Can he do what he said he can do? Do you believe that? Spurgeon, I, if, if any of you are interested, I will just forward you his message on this passage. He absolutely murders it. I just selected two little small passages to read to you. He says, among professing Christians, there is much so-called faith that is not really faith. Many of us profess much more in our creeds than we believe in our hearts. And we hold a great deal more in theory than we do in reality. For instance, I suppose that there is no professor of religion here who would dispute the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to do anything and everything. We believe that he has all power in heaven and earth. And yet, if it came to be a matter of personal detail, and he said to us, believe ye that I am able to do this, we might not all be able to answer as promptly and as confidently as the blind man did. This is why Hebrews 11 has very specific details. By faith, Rahab did this action. Because you don't have general faith. You got to activate your faith in God in a specific thing to validate whether or not you got it. This specific thing. He goes on to say, it's either to trust God in this case or else to confess that you do not intend to believe him in any case. Let's just pause for a second. This is when he starts talking about why this specific thing is so important. It's because sometimes we have a tendency to believe, Lord, I believe, but you know, this is a really, this is a different kind of situation. This is a peculiar, unique situation. I believe you on all the other things, but this thing is, you know, I'm not asking you to do this because I know this thing is, this is special and unique. He says, either to trust God in this case or else to confess that you do not intend to believe him in any case. I know you will urge that the present case is a very peculiar one, but I shall remind you that the next one will also be a very peculiar one too. <laughs> so let's stop kidding around. Either you're going to believe him now or you don't intend to believe him with anything. Come on, man. Either you trust him with your marriage or you're not going to trust him with your future. So it's just let's be honest. We got to be honest with it. We got to be honest with it. Either you believe he can heal this fractured relationship that you have with your friend or you don't actually intend to believe him at all because you don't get to have general faith in nothing and actually think you have real faith when it really matters. Look at me. Do you believe that I can do this? I want you to see him walking and looking you and grabbing you and giving you his undivided attention, not to quickly minister to you, but to lay before you an opportunity 
do you believe that I can do this? What is your this? What's the date today? The 28th? May 28, 2023. Either you write it down now, I want you to write it down somewhere later. What is your this? What is your this in this season? Spurgeon goes on to say the reason why this question is so important is because you can only have one God. You can only have one thing who is sovereign and in control, and either you deify your trial or you deify the God of the universe. I'm sure they're looking at this and they don't think that they're being asked a very theological question, maybe, but this is a very impactful question. Either your trial is greater than your God or your God is greater than your trial. One or the other, baby. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Where are we today? Their reply, yes, Lord, we believe you are greater than what my circumstances are. If you go back and Chapter 9, verse 24, when Jesus says he's on the way to heal the dead girl, the crowds laughed. They thought it was humorous, the nerve of Jesus to think he could heal somebody and he's not even within earshot of the girl. It's just a reminder. There's a whole bunch of people who need God, but they don't gain access to God because they're not humble. We talked about that childlike faith. But it's not just the humble people who get God, but it's the people who believe and who affirm it with their, yes, Lord, we believe you can do this thing. That's who gets the God stuff. And we've said this over and over and over again. And I'm just saying, this is kind of like evangelism. We've been, why, did, why is a church on Summer Avenue? Just so we can have another cute building? Just so we can be an extension of what quality education looks like. Just so that we can serve people. There are better people who are more qualified to serve this community than we are. There are better people who are, are more equipped to educate our children than we are. The only unique outproduct we have is Jesus. That's why we're here. That's the only people who are going to scream, Jesus is the way. Now, guess what? That's hard, and we don't know how to do it, and we don't know whether to knock on doors. We don't know whether to pass out flyers in Kroger. We don't know whether we should just try to take long-term and build friendships. But the reality is that's what we're called to do, and we just never let ourselves off the hook. Faith is akin to that commission. We are a people of faith, and yes, it's messy, and I'm not sure how we always do it, but we just can never let ourselves off the hook. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what we're called to. And we might have dry seasons of figuring it out, and it's so confusing, but we just get back on the horse because we know there's no other way to truly live in God without faith in God. And I know I've, I've, I've been silly about this, but I want to make it clear. I know the health-wealth tension, but you, at this church, you can't use that as an excuse anymore. 
Yes, there are people who use faith to try to put God in their pocket so that if they do this and they believe this, that they can hopefully get cars and jets and scholarships and whatever, okay? Can I just tell y'all, I am not worried about that for y'all at all. There will not be many messages I will preach in here about y'all getting away from health, wealth, heresy, okay? Probably won't be none. What I am worried about for y'all Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything. That's what I'm worried about for y'all. That you don't actually believe you have a God who can do everything. And you don't even ask. Do you believe that I can do this? And then we get sobered up because we we do have right theology and we get the calls when there's infants who are come down with mysterious illnesses and have 24 hours to live and they don't make it. And so what do we do, Pastor Tim? You asked me to pray. You asked me to bring it to you. But we know that just because the Lord doesn't do a thing doesn't mean he's not capable of doing the thing. And we always have submitted if the Lord wills. James 4 says, hey, make a plan. But listen, if you're going to make plans, you should always just encompass that if the Lord wills. But we do believe the Lord is going to do something, whether he does it now or whether he does it finally when we see him face to face. And those who believe receive according to their faith. Verse 29, then he touched their eyes. According to your faith, let it be done to you. This is a really important point. Just want to flesh it out a little bit. Faith is personal, personal, and it's detectable. There are times where you can, you can, you know, be the beneficiary of your mama's faith. Some of us are in this room because we had praying, faithful aunties, uncles who literally were begging that God keep us, and we ended up in this room. However, all of our faiths has to be personal. And Jesus says that it's, 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 it's detectable. And we pick this up um, in verse 2. Jesus of the paralyzed friends that brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, Matthew 9, 22, Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus is able to detect, see, and discern faith, people's faith, personal pronoun, your, their faith. And it's according to that faith that gives you access to all that God has for you. And until that faith becomes personal, you leave everything up to chance. Sun shines on the just and the unjust, and you're just a recipient of common grace sometimes. But unless your faith truly becomes personal, do you get access, do you build that bridge to the spiritual blessings that have been inherited by all believers? Your faith. Turn to everybody and say, my faith. Turn to your other and say, my faith. 
Your access to the life of God and his power is dependent upon your faith. And it doesn't specify an amount in this passage. According to your faith, it's really more akin to because of your faith, not in proportion to your faith. But I think one of us preached it earlier and we just continue to reiterate. I love Matthew 17, 20, because of your little faith. For I truly say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, if there's any solace to how much faith you need, the only, the only amount we see is we see someone commended for great faith, but the amount that we see that's requisite is just a little, just a little. If we just muster up a little bit, we might be all right. Turn your name and I might be all right. Wouldn't an all, listen to me now, wouldn't an all-powerful God just settle for receiving honor and glory for the miraculous things that he does. Why does he take the time to acknowledge the importance of individual faith to receive his blessing? Because those things are linked together. This is the key to all of Christianity, I'm convinced. If we have had the whole generation of reformers that beat it into our head that it's not by works, then what is it by, y'all? Then how do we get access to God? And it's not because he forces himself on us. And if you want to get super theologized in here, even, even if you believe he dropped it in your gut, you still have to activate it. You still have to use it. You have to choose to believe. He can do a thing in the garden. What was the problem? Do you believe that I provided an abundantly sufficient life for you or am I holding out on you? Do you believe me or do you believe the serpent? Do you believe me? That was the original question. As the children of God are standing and getting ready to inherit the promised land, what's, what is the last exhortation and admonishment? Look what these boneheads did when they did not believe me. Choose life and don't choose death. It's the same question that keeps getting repeated over and over and over again. Are you going to believe me or are you going to believe this? Why are these miracles there? It's just really just another version of the same question. Is your reality God or am I your God? Is your predicament God or am I God? Which one are you going to choose? Why is this so hard? The life of faith is hard. That's why we build lesser versions of Christianity. That's why we build our little golden calves. Because the life of faith is so difficult, then we build manageable versions of Christianity. I will say it again because that's all I wanted to say. Be careful because we are naturally averse to the life of faith because it is hard and it's confusing and it's complex and we don't have a lot of control on it. So we build our own little versions of Christianity that we can manage. We were at the fair, the Bluff City Fair, some fair, Beale Street Fair, one of them fairs. What was it, brother? It cost a lot of money. Yes, brother, it was, it cost a, whatever it was, it cost a lot of money. 
And you know, it's like, man, I, I just kept having these flashbacks as I'm in there. And I'm like, man, you know, I can just remember, man, now I'm a 40-year-old dude walking with my three kiddos and I love, and we're just having a good time and just laughing and whatever. And it's like, man, I remember when I was a little guy, and I used to ride rides, and I used to be so eager. Now I'm not very eager anymore. <laughs> my oldest is like, Dad, I'm going to ride this one. It's going to flip me, turn me. And I was like, yeah. I'm good, brother. And I, sometimes I really struggle in my heart because I, I used to, I, <laughs> I was, I know y'all couldn't believe this. I was like the rambunctious kid that just jumped off everything. Just, y'all probably don't believe that at all. But. It's like, when did I change? Like, when did I become the dude who takes zero risks? I'm like, mm-mm, not going to do that. And I think you do, you reach a, 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 a certain place in your life where there are so many things that are turbulent around us, aren't there? We got so many plates spinning. We got our job. We got complicated uh, uh, family relationships. We got our kids. We got wounds. It's so many things that are complicated around us. It's like, man... The last thing I want out of my life of faith is something uncertain and more complicated than the other things I'm trying to manage. And actually, I am so wired towards comfort, I will choose comfort over anything. Even if you told me God was on the other side of my faith. And I feel your pain. I just want to let you know I feel you. Life is hard. Anxiety, stress is real. And I know you're just surfing, searching desperately for something that feels solid. But hear me on this. You can get confusing and perplexing delay your gratification and get blessing and glory forever and get a little bit of it now, or you can choose what appears to be like stability. And it will always elude you now and it will elude you for eternity. It's gonna be confusion and frustration no matter which path we take but one will yield us glimmers of the great blossom in the great hereafter. And it will walk us into the life we've always yearned for. Our faith will be sight at some point. Or we can keep running to another thing that looks more solid and more stable and more comfortable and keep bumping our head and finding more confusion and more perplexing things. What will you choose today? Jesus is giving you an opportunity. Every time he brings you to this crossroad in this big chasm, he's not bringing you there to shame you. He's not bringing you to the valley of the shadow of death to prove to you just how poor of a person or how incompetent you are. He's giving you an opportunity for him to walk with you. He's giving you an opportunity to respond. Do you believe I can do this? He's giving an opportunity for you to 
confess your yes, Lord. Anybody got a yes, Lord, in the room today? I said, anybody got a yes, Lord, in the room today? I believe you. Why don't you close those eyes right there where you're at? What is that thing? What is your this? What is your this, May 28, 2023? Do you hear your Savior saying, do you believe that I can do this? And what is our answer? Yes, Lord. What is it today? Is it a complicated situation about your job and your future? Is there a challenging marriage that you just feel like is outside of God's resurrecting power? Are you feeling the pain of heartbreak and loss? Pain so deep you can barely even begin to feel, how am I gonna begin to feel comfort again? Do you believe that God can bring comfort back to your heart? Are you struggling with sin today? and been struggling for months and years and do you believe that you just have resigned yourself that I'm gonna always struggle? Do you believe that God can give you grace to overcome that sin? Song I heard says, I'll trust you, Lord. And one of the refrains says, will you still believe the first time that you try? If it don't work the first time, will you still trust him? Will you still offer him your yes, Lord? Put your eyes on me. So once again, let me look at you. How will you experience the fullness of life in God for the next 60 years if God says the same. It's by embracing faith, maintaining it, strengthening it, using it, cultivating it, celebrating it, challenging yourself to keep walking in it and reminding yourself that your faith does not mean you're going to amass everything. Your faith does not mean that you'll never uh, experience hurt and loss and suffering and you don't have to, to bury the loved one. That does not mean that. But as I close today, I think the reason why we keep getting encouraged to use our faith is so that we keep that muscle strong until the very end, until our faith is actually sight. I know y'all know Tim Keller died two weeks ago, a week, a week ago. And um, I think the thing that I was so blessed by, even in his final hours, is that he was just discipling us into how to die well. You know, we just want to avoid, 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 avoid. It's like, no, man, we've been preparing for this. For the moment that we gave our lives to Jesus, we've been preparing for the moment where one day our faith will be sight. And to have his words, to have his experience, is of great comfort to me because I'm going to be honest with you. If you have not cultivated your faith, that moment going to be very terrifying That's the last hurdle, isn't it? Was what we did 
for 60 Sundays for all these years, 70 years, was it real and does it matter? And if we haven't been cultivating that muscle, we're going to walk into the next life with a whole lot of fear and anxiety and trepidation. Or if you allow your every experience to keep cultivating and strengthening your faith, you'll be ready. You'll be able to say what he said to his son. Son, this is a good thing. I'm going to be waiting on you. Faith. As we close the day, just want to encourage you to lean into your yes, Lord. And if you want to just sing this last song with us, maybe you want to come up to the altar, maybe you've been struggling with your faith and your yes, just want to receive some ministry, we're here. We're going to stay around, we're going to hang around, we're going to do some ministry.